0: Perfect. Hey, Bars. Thank you so much for doing this. Pleasure to see you again. How's it going today?
1: Really. Thanks for having me um, here on the on the uh, podcast. Always a pleasure to uh, connect and talk to you. Uh, I'm doing great, and uh, couldn't couldn't be doing better than uh, you know being here talking to you.
0: Fantastic. Lovely. So, I would like to start by talking a little about you. I, I have known you for uh, close to a year now, I think, but I haven't heard your story. So I would like everyone to get to know you a little better. This is for everyone who's in finance and who wants to or is aspiring to get at a very high level in finance. right? And since you're at a leadership level in one of the biggest companies in the world, please tell us about your journey, your shift from India to U.S. And how did you end up becoming a partner at EY?
1: Definitely, definitely. So, you know, as we start, I would certainly say, you know, my professional career uh, has been one that's uh, pretty unorthodox. Uh, You know, I kicked off my education by doing my uh, 10th grade from a boarding school uh, from uh, St. Paul's, Darjeeling, and then did my 12th from YPS, Patella. After that, I got my BCOM honors from DAV College, Chandigarh. Uh, You know, I would certainly say I was not one of the top-tier students, uh, during, uh, my 10th, 12th or the undergrad. But one thing that, you know, really helped me was that my parents drilled into me a very strong work, work ethic very early on in my, um, uh, you, you know, life. Uh, so, you know, while studying, uh, in undergrad, I was thrown into managing family, uh, business, uh, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, all the chaos that comes with it, you know, um, uh, you know, legal hassles, property issues, you name it. Uh, but, you know, that certainly made me grow up fast. Uh, you know, I eventually realized that that wasn't my calling. So I took a pivot, a, a big one, at the age of 27 when I moved to Atlanta in 2002 to do my MBA from Georgia Tech. Now, you know, most of the folks, uh, you know, would say that, uh, you know, I came to the corporate party pretty late, uh, um, uh, you, you know, late in life. But guess guess what? You know, I I didn't really let that uh, slow me down. Uh, you know, fa- fast forward to 2018, after grinding for about 14 years at Evi, I made, uh, you know, made, made a partner. It was certainly a long, you know, winding road, but here I am. And uh, I guess the moral of the story is, you know, you're never too late to switch gears uh, to climb up the corporate ladder.
0: Fantastic. yeah. I, is, was EY your first ever job itself? So is is that the only company you've been at or was, was there other, I mean, as a full-time job, not internships or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I think EY was, uh, yes, EY was my first uh, full-time, uh, you know, uh, yeah, that, that's where I started my career and still uh, still here after 14 years. Fantastic.
0: So I love it when people have stuck to a company for that long, right? Because it's only then that you can see a progressive growth that you can't do if you're jumping jobs. And I do want to ask you, since you're in that unique position of being in one company for so long and seeing so many levels over there, that what is your take on company cultures? What did your company do to make a person like you stay for so long? And what what do you think other companies do as well to help retain their team members for more than a decade, but more than two decades as well? What are your thoughts on culture?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think the biggest one starts really with the people, uh, right? You know, uh, we're not into manufacturing. So our, uh, you know, manufacturing plants are really the people who are producing services for our clients. So, you know, really, uh, just from uh, that very, uh, sort of the basis, you know, our focus, uh, within the firm has always been on people. And, you know, I get asked this question a lot when I interview potential candidates for Ernst & Young now, you know, what, uh, you know, kept me glued to Evi and, uh, you know, here for uh, so long as I had been. And I would say it's really the people culture. It's my mentors over the years who have personally invested in my professional growth. It's the people that I work for. It's it's for the people that work for me, too, you know, where I want to pay back like, uh, you know, my mentors invested in me. And, you know, I want to make sure that people that are reporting to me or work with me or work on my teams uh, have those same opportunities uh, to grow and achieve their, uh, you know, professional professional dreams. Uh, EY, certainly, I mean, I think uh, our people focus is, uh, you know, front, right, and center. Uh, you know, I, I think EY does a great job looking after the people, making sure everybody has equal opportunities. You know, we invest a lot in uh, the professional development of people uh, who work at EY, Uh, giving them the opportunities, uh, you know, to really, um, uh, you know, achieve their full potential. And the other thing that, you know, I would say is uh, just because EY is such a multidisciplinary firm, uh, you know, it it is perfect for someone like me because I tend to get bored after like six months to a year. So I need to do something different. Right. So, you know, uh, EY gives me the opportunity to do a lot of different things while staying with an EY. Uh, which, you know, sometimes is not possible uh, for uh, firms that are focused on one particular discipline or a product, right?
0: Fantastic. You also, obviously, since uh, you're at a leadership level, you have a lot of people who you tend to manage. Uh, How many people do you manage? What, What would your team size be approximately? Just out of curiosity.
1: Yeah, so I I have roughly about 10 uh, different clients and uh, you know the teams would uh, you range from say, you know, five or six people to 10-15 uh people on every team, right? Um so so you know I'm 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 touching um you know directly touching maybe 100-150 uh, people every year or or plus right? So
0: Amazing. Getting to that, right? If you're you're directly impacting and I believe whoever your manager is, is going to have a tremendous impact on your life, regardless of which company you work for or whatever it might be. So when it comes to managing so many people, what do you look for in anyone, any juniors, anyone aspiring to be at your level or anyone just looking to succeed in finance as a whole, right? What do you look for within them? Are there any particular qualities that you Because every leader has different traits that
1: they give more weightage to. What's that for right. you? Yeah, so for me, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I certainly look at the potential of, uh, you know, any of the team members, not really what they bring to the table today, but what they can develop to into to be able to contribute to to, uh, to your team and, uh, you, you know, to to the organization long-term, right? And so the key when you're looking at the potential is really, uh you know is is the person coming in with the right attitude do they want to learn do they want to grow do they want to contribute to to the team so that that is really uh keen to me again i mean i think if you're curious you want to learn you take your feedback seriously uh i think regardless of what organization you are in you're going to certainly learn grow and be able to contribute to to the maximum uh potential i strongly believe that Everybody brings their best self to work every day, you know. So it is really the responsibility of their, uh, you know, managers or the bosses to make sure that they take that best and give them the tools to, um, you know, to to develop progress and uh, gain their full potential.
0: Fantastic. So you're saying that as long as people come in with an open mind and they're not too restricted in that. Oh, you know, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Then they can continue learning overall. Even if you have average talent, you can still make it if you're putting in right. the effort and putting in the hours. Fantastic. Right. Right. In terms of the same, just an extension of the same question. When you're when you're looking at people and you're wondering, hey, you know, who will who can I pull up or who can I give more responsibilities and opportunities to? What communication skills do you value in people? So when I say communication skills, it doesn't have to be like, oh, hardcore public speaking and charismatic people. But in terms of day-to-day communications, what do you look at in that space?
1: So, Radeep, maybe repeat the answer. I don't know. I followed the answer.
0: Sure. So I'll, I'll take the question.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
0: when it comes to your team of people, are there any specific communication traits that you feel that, you know what, these are really, really important communication-wise. So one is being open-ended, which is an attitude aspect. From a communications perspective, what skills do you feel are required for people to help them take more opportunities? So you see that communication skill in them and you're like, hey, you know, I can, I can give you more responsibilities because that's a skill that is worthwhile. So communication-wise, what skills do you think people should have?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, communication obviously is key to what, you know, we do on a day-to-day day-to-day basis, right? Uh, you know, think about it, uh, you know, we're in the client service, right? So, you know, we want to make sure that we're communicating appropriately with our clients, uh, making sure, uh, you know, they, they're abreast uh, with the status, progress, our thinking on, uh, you know, different things. Uh, so, so that's really key. And then uh, similarly, you know, any organization where you're dealing with uh, the human aspect, I think the communication becomes the key, right? Uh, so when, when I'm looking at the communication skills, I'm, I'm really looking at it is, uh, you know, just, uh, uh, uh your ability to, uh, communicate concisely and clearly, uh, you know, that, that, uh, is a key because again, I mean, everybody is short of time. So, you know the key to you know being able to communicate effectively uh, also relies in being concise so that you can communicate what you need to within the time frame that you have the other person's attention right uh the other thing that i look at it is you know which is which is a uh, you know uh, which is uh, quite a challenge these days is just because of the communication overload uh you know knowing there's a fine line between over and under communicating so, you know, I think um, anybody on the team that, uh, you know, learns over time, uh, you know, the uh, the fine balance between over- under-communicating uh, is always going to be uh, very effective. And then, you know, I don't know how best to put it, but, you know, there's uh, certainly some, um, uh, you know, understanding required about the politics of how you communicate different things, right? Um, so, for example, you know, if you... Uh, are working with the, uh, uh, you know, uh, boards at, at different firms, just kind of learning, you know, before you go to the board, all the other stakeholders that you need to be able to communicate, let them know, uh, precisely what, you know, you're going to be communicating to others. This is not in a way restricting. Uh, you from not communicating what you need to to the board members, but at the same time learning how to do that so that, you know, others don't feel like that they are being sidelined. So again, I mean, I think uh, to sum it out, it is, you know, being concise, learning the fine line between over-under communicating and, uh, you know, being, uh, uh, you know, uh, having an understanding of the politics involved when you're communicating to multiple stakeholders.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. You also earlier on spoke a little bit about mentors, right? And I'm sure now that you're managing so many people and these skills that you're looking at, I'm sure you're mentoring other people as well. But I want to talk about who mentored you. So uh, what, the theme of this podcast is to understand things that are not taught in your academic books, in your degrees and everything. And mentors is a big part of it. So who do you think? You can name the person you cannot name them doesn't matter but just the experience of it if you can talk about any one important mentor in your life could be someone back in india could be someone at EY, could be someone even before that right or someone in your personal life if you could talk a little about that and how they helped you become the person you are today
1: right yeah no i mean i i've had uh, you know i have been very fortunate to have a lot a lot of mentors uh you know over my professional career at ey and, uh, you you know, I, I I have no hesitation in saying, you know, I would not be where I am today without the help from the mentors, uh, right? You know, um, I think uh, uh, certainly, you know, the mentors help you, um, you, you know, underst- or help you, uh, you know, identify and be more self-aware uh, because, you know, it's a trust relationship where when they say something to you, you kind of, uh, you, you know, are more open to listening to it. Uh, uh, so, you know, I've had uh, great mentors over the years. I still maintain really good relationships with them. Some of them have been senior partners who've retired since, and we still, uh, stay in touch. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, sort of almost crossed beyond, uh, you know, um, the, the formal mentor, mentee relation to, to being a very personal relationship. The one thing that I would, uh, maybe highlight, and this is a concept that, you know, we talk a lot at EY is that, there is a huge difference between a mentor and a sponsor right and uh, you know a mentor and a sponsor have different um i guess levels of impact on your professional career so you know a, a simple distinction between the two is a mentor is someone who would give you feedback when you ask them or uh you know on an ad hoc basis uh but is not one who spends the political capital on uh, making sure that you you, you achieve your full potential. A sponsor on the other hand is someone who is willing to uh, spend uh, his or her political capital to make sure that you're getting the opportunities that you deserve, right? And it becomes important because when you really look at the corporate world, right? uh, A lot of your annual reviews, uh, uh, the opportunities that you're given uh, are uh decided by a handful of people uh you know that you may or may not uh, uh you know be participating in that decision making process so you really need to make sure that you have some sponsors that are sitting in those meetings and really uh y- you know advocating for you uh so so again I mean I think really understanding, the difference between a sponsor and a mentor is key because a lot of times, and it was the same thing with me, you, you go, uh, you know, progress through your professional career thinking your mentors are really your sponsors when they are not. And then, you know, we, uh, we, uh, I, I guess, uh, uh, you know, end up not, uh, investing enough to get enough sponsors to be able to, uh, sort of, uh, climb up the, uh, corporate ladder. Right. And they're, they're actually really good head. Uh, talks videos on the distinction between a mentor and sponsors and uh, you know how how to develop those relationships or identify people that uh, could be your good uh, mentors and uh, sponsors
0: I never looked at it that way even I have not heard of this concept of mentors or sponsors so i'm glad you're highlighting the difference because right. it could it could make a difference to somebody's career path entirely if they don't know the distinction that's right great. If we were to go back all the way back to when you first joined, right, and if you could talk about your interview journey, and now that you're at the level you're at, you interview a lot of people as well. If there's someone hearing this or watching this podcast and they are wondering, hey, you know, I want to work at one of the big four. How do I prepare for an interview? Okay, I have an interview, I have the opportunity. How do I prepare for that? And what what are they going to be looking at besides just my degree?
1: Right. Yeah, no, no, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, again, um, you know, at EY, it's, it's, uh, you know, we've got a pyramid model uh, of recruiting where we recruit like hundreds of people fresh out of college every year. And then, uh, you know, over time, people go do different things and that gets, uh, narrower, narrower as you kind of climb up the ladder. Right. So again, you know, when we're recruiting these uh, people come in directly from the colleges, we know that you know this is probably going to be their first job so there's no expectations that they know uh much about you know how we do things on a day to day basis and you know certainly everybody understands that once they're brought into the firm we it is our responsibility to teach them uh you know um, um uh, the different things that the firm uh you know would require them to do right so you know, when uh, when you're interviewing again, I mean, I think I'll come back to the same thing. You're really looking at it from the mindset of what is the potential for this uh, person five years, 10 years, 15 years down the line. Right. So, you know, I, I think you're really looking at it from that perspective. And then the other thing I would say is that given that there is no expectation that, you know, everything uh day one, uh, you know, we we uh, treat these interviews as almost like a, a two way dialogue where. You know, we're there to actually answer questions that you might have about, you know, career at EY, about, you know, your roles, responsibilities, people, culture and things like that. So, you know, we're looking for people to have that inquisitiveness when they come into the interview, because uh, it it sometimes tends to show the more the person is inquisitive, the more the person is excited and interested in the position. Right. So, you know, I would just say do a lot of homework. Have, uh, you, you, you know, show some curiosity as to what you would want to learn, uh, for the firm, uh, about the firm and be ready with the, uh, you know, come, come in ready with the question. And again, I, I think the other thing that we're evaluating is also, you know, making sure the people have the right attitude and the cultural fit for the firm. And then uh, they're coming in with an attitude of learning, uh, is, uh, you know, what we're really looking for. So no expectation of you being able to answer technical questions it's more just you know are you the right fit for the firm do you have the potential to grow over next 5 10 15 years and do you exhibit that uh, curiosity and inquisitiveness about about the firm and how excited you are about the position
0: that's i'm so glad you said that because a lot of people and who come to us also are so nervous about interviews and i right. think if everyone can just have the mindset that an interview is just a conversation, right? right? Where two people are trying to understand if they are vibing with each other, if there's a good fit, and that's all that it is. We are not expected to be perfect over there. So I'm glad right. you, you pointed that out.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, especially in in the the business time I'm in, right? You know, I'm I'm mainly um, you know finance and accounting, and accounting over over a period of time has had declining uh, you, you know supplies of. Uh, Uh, And, you you know, uh, people graduating, sitting for CPAs and CEAs. So, you know, I almost look at it because you have now an issue with the supply and there's a lot of demand that it's almost like dating, two people dating. You're trying to go to the interview, get trying to get to know more about each other before both the parties can make a decision whether, you know, the candidate can make a decision whether that this is the right fit for them. And then, uh, for an organization to make a decision whether that particular candidate is a right, uh, you know, fit for the organization. And, and I, I don't even really look at it as a rejection because it's, it's really just making sure that you're a right fit for each other. I'm sure there are other, uh, opportunities, careers, uh, openings that uh, would be a better fit if, uh, you know, EY is not a good fit for a particular candidate. So it's not like saying, Hey, you're not. Uh, you're not up to the mark. Is just saying you you know you're not the right fit for this particular position, and you know I'm sure there are other opportunities for that individual to explore and you know find the right fit.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of times interview rejections are taken very personally when we just have to show ourselves that hey, you know it's it just as you mentioned, it's like dating, right? So we can't expect right. to have a long term relationship or get married to everybody we meet so it's all about just finding that balance overall i love that analogy of it being like a date because that just eases people's mindset down and it makes the entire conversation a lot more casual so that's
1: amazing right Final and, and I, I i do think you know the negative um sort of the aspects attached to the interview were mainly uh you you know from from prior time like for uh, from like uh, you know o- older times when there was more supply and less opportunities career wise, right? You know, I, I uh, did my undergrad in, uh, 1997, right? Uh, you know, as an undergrad I, in those days, you had literally no opportunities, right? You had to do a master's. You had to have worked some, uh, you, you know, you, you, even after doing master, you had to be lucky to get a, uh, you know, a opportunity to do something, which has changed dramatically. There's so many more careers. There's so many more opportunities. Uh, so, you know, I think uh, that's why it's different now. It's not like, hey, you know, if I get rejected from a one uh, job interview, there are no other opportunities. The pool is so huge nowadays that, you know, I think it's just uh, the key is right, just finding the right fit. And I would say, which is really, really important, because when I look at it, you know, my uh, career at EY, we do definitely work pretty long hours. And it is not possible to do that. Unless there is the uh, right fit culturally. And also if you really like what you're doing, I mean, you know, if, if uh, I did not like what I was doing or, you know, the, there was not, there was a, not a good cultural match. I don't think I could have lasted 14 years doing, you know, 60, 70 hours a week. Uh, uh, you know, and uh, not not having as much time to spend with the family. So, you know, it it is really uh, key. Uh, if you have a demanding profession, uh, to make sure that there's a, you know, right culture fit. And also it's something that you want to, you really like doing. And same as the thing, like, you know, EY does a lot of internships and I tell a lot of people internship, uh, is not like a stepping stone to get to your next, to get a permanent, uh, employee offer from EY. It's really for you to explore whether this is really something that you want to do long haul or not. You know, you might do the internship, you might realize, yeah, you know, I thought this was what I wanted to do the rest of my life, but it is really not. And so you have a, a, an opportunity to learn from that and course correct and look at other uh, other potential, uh, you know, professions.
0: Fantastic. And final question that I have for you is, how much weightage would you give to hard skills versus soft skills? So would you give it a 50-50% weightage? Would hard skills be 60 and soft skills be 40? Would it be reversed? What are your thoughts? What percentage would you give hard skills versus soft skills for a job in finance?
1: So, so great question. Uh, you know, um, I, I wish you told me you'll ask me this question. I would have uh, you know, tried to dig out a graph that someone shared with me uh, earlier on in my life, right? So literally, uh, when you, uh, you, you know, what that, essentially what the graph t- tells you is when you're starting out, your uh, hard skills probably make up, I'm just picking up an example, probably make up like 70% and your soft skills make up uh, 30%. But then as you're climbing up the ladder, uh, you know, those uh, start to change where the hard skills uh, percentage will continue to go down and the soft skills will continue to go up. And uh you you know so yeah i mean i think uh, when you get to the partner level it's really i would say it's almost upside down where you're spend you you know your your job demands you to excel 70% or 80% on soft skills and maybe 30 or 20% on the hard skills uh because you have people in your team uh underneath you that you know are really highly qualified uh, proficient in the hard skills that you need to be able to leverage and which is you know It's, it's a, it's, it's a very uh, challenging thing to do. Uh, It's uh, easier said than done because, you know, as you progress, uh, you certainly are more comfortable in doing what you have been doing. So if you had been, uh, you know, really good at your hard skill, hard skills, you want to continue to do that because that, you know, it's, it's something that uh, is within your comfort zone. Right. And so you have to continuously change, uh, challenge yourself like, Hey, you know, if I've gotten this promotion, uh, do, uh, do uh, you know what do I need to flex right uh what do I need to let go and what do I need to spend my time and it's it's just not easy like even as a partner sometimes i uh still have a tendency to go back and uh, do more of the hard skills because you know i'm uh, i'm i'm comfortable i know that you know it's easy for me to do it but then I have to continuously challenge myself that's not the best use of my time at uh you know this particular level and so i have to you know, uh, challenge that continuously. But again, I think the short story is as you progress, you have to make sure that uh, the soft uh, skills take a bigger weightage uh, in your overall set of responsibilities.
0: Fantastic. That's it. I think I asked you everything I need to. I want to respect your time as well. That's it, Paras, for the Frantically Speaking podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. If anyone's watching this and you're expected to get into finance you want to build a career over there i hope we could give you some values some nuggets of value that you can utilize to exponentially impact your career thank you so much for having for uh having yourself selfie about us. any final thoughts before we conclude
1: no well, th- thanks a lot radeep uh you know again i mean i think uh, my only final thoughts would be continue to invest in yourself uh you know the uh that that never stops. You uh, you need to be a learner all your life. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a partner at EY. I'm still a learner. Uh, you know, that's how we got connected. Uh, there were certain things that I wanted to improve, and so I reached out to you guys. Um And uh, you know, again, uh, something you might uh, expect to get like hundred hundred, uh, you, you know, maybe hundred hundred percent out, but you only get ninety percent. I think you gotta still focus on that ninety percent that you gained from uh, you know investing in uh, you know whatever you're trying to improve upon so again I mean just be a learner uh be a dreamer uh you, you know w- which uh is reflected, right you know at uh, 29 I came to do uh, at 27 I came to do my MBA I started my uh you, you know prof- professional career at 29 which uh, by more, uh you know uh, most other people's standards is too late in the game but I still dreamt about it and that's uh you know what I set out to achieve and I achieved it so you know, again, I I would just sum it up. Uh, be a learner and be a dreamer and be uh you know persistent in what you want to achieve. And uh, you know, the success will be yours.
0: Fantastic. I think that's a great note to end this on. Thank you so much, Paras, for coming here.